0: So our text this evening is in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. We're just dropping down into this text. It's been weeks and weeks and weeks since we've been here. Um, and so you're very likely going to feel like you've like dropped in the middle of a jungle, like with not much reference point. We'll try to make sure that we tie in to where we are. But let's first, let's read the text. If you were studying these verses Um, in your Bible, say you're having time in the Word of God in the morning and you're, you're reading this and you're trying to understand what's here, we want to kind of approach it that way. So we read these words in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, for He Himself, that is Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember, we just talked about that. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, just reading through that out loud, it feels like a wall of words. Like, just like, you're just overwhelmed with all the words that we've just covered. So let's let's look at this, and let's just do kind of a flyover first. You know, as you look at a passage, you want to kind of look at uh, connecting points. You want to look at things that are repeated. You want to pick up on themes. So the first thing I noticed when I look at this passage is... I, I see this word right here, for. That, that tells me there's something that's happened already, and this is going to be an explanation of what he's talked about before. And in particular, let me get my... Well, we'll get to that in a moment. I want to come back to that. Right now, I'm just marking things that I see. Uh, he himself is our peace... And I, when I read through it, I saw peace more than once. I saw peace here, and I see peace here. So, twice the word peace comes up, and we know when we think of hostility, it's the opposite of, uh, opposite of peace. Peace bringing people together. Peace making things that aren't broken apart. They're, they're brought together like they ought to be. He has made us both one. Now, The question we've got to answer is, who is the us? Who is the both? So we're going to have to answer, who is he talking about? He has made us both, one. Um, And we're going to have to figure that out from what we've seen before. He has broken down in his flesh. That's an interesting thing. How do you break down a wall in your flesh? He broke he, the dividing wall of hostility, the dividing between us both, abolishing the law of the commandments, expressed in and ordinances. So you've got law, commandments, ordinances that he might create uh, in himself. Here's another connection. In his flesh, in himself... One new man, we've seen one before, and here it is again. One new man in place of the two. Remember two? We had both here. So making peace and might reconcile us both. Here we have this again. To God in one body. So this oneness, this unity keeps showing up. Through The cross and his flesh, himself, and through the cross are really going to go together. That's why we would say in his flesh, because Christ gave his body on the cross, so we know the cross is going to be key here, thereby killing the hostility. And we saw that word hostility before right here. So, hostility. So, now we've kind of seen the themes, the things that keep coming up. Let's work through this and figure out what's actually going on. So, we start with the four. That explains what Paul has just declared in Ephesians 2.13. And it's been a few months since we were here but we saw, but now in Christ Jesus, you... Who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So, Christ has brought us near by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ in his flesh, through the cross, in himself, all this coming together. So, who is the you? Well, the you is referring to the readers, the Gentile believers. That were part of the church in Ephesus. So we know part of, we're talking about two people, both, us both. One of those groups of people are Gentiles, the other group of people would be the Jews. Okay? Paul is a Jew, he comes from a Jewish background, he's reaching out to Gentiles, they've received the gospel that was at first just given to the Jews and now is given to all the Gentiles. In fact, as you look at those earlier passages when we talk about you who are far off, far off from what? Well, they were separated from the Messiah. All those promises of the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would crush the serpent's head, the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Judah, the offspring of David, the one that was going to bring peace, the one that was going to sacrifice himself for our sins and, 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 and bring about this connection with God, this Messiah was not something that the Gentiles had been familiar with. This revelation had been given largely to the Jews. There were a few Gentiles, a few non-Jews, a few nations, ethnicities that had heard about it, but for the most part, they hadn't. They were separated from the Messiah. They were alienated, stiff-armed away from the commonwealth, from the body politic, the the people of God known as the Israelites, the, the ones that were the chosen ones of God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. God made these promises to Israel, uh, covenant with them, agreement. He said, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Uh, David, um, your son is going to sit on an everlasting throne. All these promises, they were strangers to that. They hadn't heard about these promises. And therefore, they were those that had no hope, and they were without God. So, so here they are, essentially in darkness. They haven't had the light of God shine to them yet. And, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that light came to them. And so Paul says, for Christ. Remember, Christ is not a name, it's a title. Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. Christ is our peace. He has, he has brought us together, and we're going to see He's done more than that. As our peace, Christ accomplished two things. He made us both, and now we know that the both refers first to Jews and Gentiles. He, when, and, and Paul is identi- Paul's a Jew, but he's identifying with the Gentiles he's talking to. He's made us both one. He's made us one people. Later, he's going to say one body. And has broken down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. And in his flesh is going to be through the cross. Christ gave his body on the cross to accomplish this. So, so how, how did he break down this dividing wall? wall of hostility. And believe me, there was hostility. The Jews didn't like Gentiles. Uh, Their laws and and, and requirements, and we're going to see this in a moment, really kept them separate. You know, people that you keep separate from, you you tend to distrust. You tend to fear. Um, They easily become your enemies. And and it wasn't just the Jews that didn't have good feelings toward Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have good feelings toward the Jews. And, and we've seen that played out, right? Clear, clear up and, into you know, the anti-Semitism that, that is common and it flares up from time to time. You see this, this suspicion, hostility of when people don't really understand each other. Well, how did Jesus break down this dividing wall? In fact, you know, in the, in the temple precincts, there, there was a court where Gentiles, non-Jews, could go to worship Yahweh, the true God. It was called the Court of the Gentiles, okay? But, but the Court of the Gentiles was closed off from the inner parts of that temple area. There was a literal wall. And, and those that kept up the temple and, and policed the grounds there had the legal right to kill any Gentile, any non-Jew who crossed that boundary. It was for Jews only in that inner area. The court of the Gentiles was further out. And so there was actually a literal wall, and this is talking about the really the spiritual and the ethnic wall that was there. Well, how did Christ do this? He did it by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. What does that mean? Because, you know, when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Okay, so, so what does this mean? Does this mean we just, like, throw out the Old Testament? It's of no use whatsoever. No, absolutely not. We saw just this morning, right? The old commandment to love came from where? The Old Testament, okay? We're not throwing out the Old Testament. This is primarily referring to the ceremonial requirements of the law, things like circumcision, things like dietary laws. You can eat this kind of food, you can't eat that kind of food. Um, ritual cleanness and uncleanness. Right now, as I'm listening through the Bible, I am in Leviticus, and I am up to my eyeballs or my earlobes in hearing about this is clean and unclean and how many days you have to wait before it's clean again, and and it's like, you know, mind-boggling, all the clean and unclean stuff. Besides that, there are special days that you're supposed to observe, Uh, new moons, Sabbath days, festival days. Well, look, if you're practicing those things as a good Jew, you're practicing, hey, I can eat this, but I can't eat that. Well, listen, you're not going out for shrimp primavera or scampi or whatever else. You're not, you're not going to eat shrimp. You're not going to eat pork. You're not going to eat lots of things that, quite frankly, the Gentiles eat. Well, if you're not eating the same thing, do you think you're going to be sharing the same table? Well, they didn't share the same table. This kept them separate. There are ways they were supposed to plant their crops, or ways they were supposed to, you know, wear their clothes, like the kind of fabric uh, that made up their clothes. There were days where they were they were supposed to not be working, and 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 days they're supposed to be celebrating certain things. Well, look, if you're a Gentile and you don't know about any of this stuff, that's like nuts to you. It's like I mean, it's crazy. It's like. You people are weird. You're you're doing this weird stuff and and we're like outsiders. And to the Jew who knew about all these things, and looking at the Gentiles and saying, you don't practice the things that are really important to us. Well look, for, for people to come together, they need to have special days together. For people to come together, they need to be able to share the same kind of food, to have in common the same kinds of foods. They need to have a lot of the same customs. And so it's hard for people that have very different customs to get along. Have you noticed that? I mean, those of you who uh, came up um, in the World War II time and then shortly after that, has it been an easy adjustment or a hard one to see all the things change and the way things, it's hard. It's like there's a different culture every 10 years in our, our current society. Everything's moving so fast, and it's hard for us to bridge the gaps. Well, as hard as that is, this is much, much harder. This was centuries, millennia old, this divide, this huge divide. Um, and it had this practical effect, and this was God's intent of keeping the Jews separate from the Gentiles while the Jews were, were keeping the, the promises, the covenants regarding the Messiah keeping it, uh, preserving it for when Messiah would come. And the day would come when, in the Messiah, even the Gentiles would trust. In the meantime, God had to keep the people as pure as possible. And we know that what happened is... They would often adopt the idolatrous practices of the surrounding nations. They started living like the Canaanites. They started worshiping Canaanite gods. They worshiped Egyptian gods. They, they worshiped the, the gods that the people in the desert worship. And every time that happened, it just it ruined everything. It, here, are God's people were supposed to shine, and, and they're living in ways that, that people can't see God in them. Well, beyond these ceremonial requirements of the law, like what you eat, um, the ritual cleanness and uncleanness, special days and all that. There are also the moral laws. Now, the moral laws, God's definition of right and wrong morally, that didn't change. I mean, it's always been wrong to steal, and it always will be. It's always wrong to commit adultery and murder and and, and to lie, and it, and, and it always will be. But trying to keep even the moral laws, and to do it, to do it perfectly so as to win favor with God proved impossible. The The people who knew the law the best couldn't do it. It, it was a burden they couldn't bear. It It became a wall of hostility, not just between them and other people, it became a wall of hostility between them and God because they were guilty before God. We needed a perfect someone to take our place who would completely fulfill the law and could completely pay for our violations of the law. And that someone is Jesus Christ, the God-man. He did both. He fulfilled the law in every particular. You know, the law has demands even about, think about the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. You're not supposed to even want somebody else's stuff or somebody else's wife or or anything that belongs to someone else. In other words, the law's demands are not just what you do, not just what you say, Not even just what you think, but what you desire. Who can be so clean that they are perfectly sinless, even at the level of desire? Nobody but Jesus. We're all guilty before God. And so this is a huge wall. This is a wall of hostility. Jesus Christ is the one that took care of that. Colossians, which, by the way, Paul wrote... letter to the believers in Colossae, around the same time he wrote the letter to those in Ephesus, he's in prison under house arrest at Rome, and he's writing to these churches. And he says in Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so he's also talking to Gentiles, God made alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven us our trespasses every time he crossed the line, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's a great parallel to this passage where Christ in his flesh, in himself, through the cross, killed the hostility that the law had created not just between jews and the rest of the ethnicities but between man and god christ abolished the regulations of the ceremonial law and he abolished the condemnation of the moral law there is no condemnation to those that are in christ jesus romans 8. so why why did jesus do this what was his purpose We're told why. We have that or so that. This word, really important. These are connecting words. That, this gives us our purpose. So that he might create. Think about creation. God speaks in itself. Think about the power it takes to create. He might create in himself one new man not talking about an individual, talking about a body of people in place of the two. Instead of Jews and Gentiles, there's one new man, so making peace. The one new man refers to the whole body of believers united to Christ, the head of the body, and we're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to be working together in a way where we're growing up into Christ-like maturity. In other words, we're, if, if a body doesn't follow the directions of the head, you're probably in the neuro ward of the hospital. It, it's, it's really a, a frightening and sad thing to see somebody whose brain and body are not working together and they're, they're having convulsions, and, and things just aren't working right. And, and a body of believers needs this connection to Christ the head so that it works properly, okay? Christ gives the direction. Christ gives the power. As individual members of His body, we build one another up in love. That's the way Ephesians 4 is going to describe it that we are, we are taking what God is providing each one of us as members of the body, and, and with the gifts and the abilities and the opportunities God gives us, through our connection with one another, we're letting that work of God in us flow to other people. And, and that means God blesses them through us so that all of us are growing up together in love. If, if people are to see Christ, it won't just be seeing Christ in the individuals. They'll see Christ in the way that the body life works. The, the, the church exists to shine out to the world who Christ is. And, you, and you, it's body language. Okay? We can't see one another's spirit we can see the effects of the Spirit through the body language, through the way the, the body reacts. We can, we can tell when somebody's pulling back from us and when somebody is engaging with us, when somebody is kindly disposed to us and is gravitating to us and, and one who is pushing us away. We see it in body language. We see it in eye contact. We see as the body works to communicate or we're supposed to communicate who Christ is. And so Colossians talks about this this unity of the body that's crossing all these old walls. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, Colossians 3.11, circumcised and uncircumcised. So he's talking about that big divide between Jews and, and Gentiles, but, and, and it was largely a Greek-speaking world, so that, that, was, that was how it would be expressed, Jew and Greek. But then he goes beyond that, because there's all kinds of other divides. There, there are divides of languages. So barbarian, who is a barbarian? Someone who doesn't know your language. And, and it's actually a word that comes from the way somebody who speaks another language sounds. bar 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 bar, bar. Barbarian. Okay? That's where the word comes from. And so they're bar, barbarian um, because it's, they're, they're speaking gibberish. To it. We, we can't get along because we don't speak the same language. You remember God did that at the Tower of Babel. He divided the earth by separating the languages. Scythian. If, if my memory serves me right, these are headhunters. So, how many of you have a headhunter as a good friend? No, you have your heads. so, yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about the... What the Greeks and their culture, think about the museums, the sculptures, the paintings, the buildings, and then think about people that are headhunters and, you know, have scalps and shrunken heads hanging from their belt and who eat people and stuff like, oh, that's barbaric, not just in language. So he's saying, look, all, all these differences, like huge differences. Slave and free, a, a, a good portion of the Roman world were slaves. And then there were freedmen. That was a huge divide among people. So, so these biggest divides in Galatians throws in male and female. Okay? So if you know, men and women are different, they think different. Uh, one of the big sanctifying things that God does is he has them get married to one another, a man and a woman, and have to learn how to live together peaceably, okay? Um, how to cross the wall of hostility and and get along, right? So he says Christ is all and in all. There, there's a unity created among people that ethnically have would have nothing to do with one another. They're now together. You can meet people from different parts of the world that speak different languages, and, and maybe you can hardly communicate, but you can often tell whether or not they know Christ. There, there's a sense of family. There's a sense of belonging together. Uh, one day the language barrier won't be there, um, but, but people with all kinds of background, you know, we, we don't, the church shouldn't just display, oh, we, we are a highly educated church, because we are in a town with highly educated people, as if there are no other people that need Jesus. There, there ought to be those that have lots of education. There ought to be those that don't have much, and they, they ought to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. They're, ought to be people from different ethnic backgrounds and and different different strata, if you will, in society, Dif- all kinds of, of differences where they are together because of Jesus. This displays um, the impact of the gospel. It, it's not that people cease to be from different ethnic and social backgrounds. It doesn't mean that um, you know, if if you're from uh, Latin America and you like Mexican food, that you've got to stop eating Mexican food and you just have to eat hamburgers and french fries the rest of your life. Now, we, we The differences, the ethnic differences can still be there. Men don't turn into women and women don't turn into men. Um, the Greeks are still Greek and the Jews are still Jews, but but Christ broke down the wall of hostility. He, he brought these different people to, uh, together and, and blended them together. Their unity in Christ supersedes all these lesser distinctions. It's like Jesus is taller than the wall. The, the, the walls are not nearly so important to us anymore. We stand on equal footing at the cross we're joint heirs with Christ. Now, there's a second purpose or goal. Besides creating, making this one body of Jews and Gentiles, all these different people groups, bringing them together, there's a second purpose or goal that's even greater. Verse 16. And might, this is, this is that he might create and... and this and is going to connect, might reconcile to that he might create. He might create, that he might reconcile, okay? So he's not only creating this one body, but he is also reconciling us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The divide between Jew and Gentile, as great as it was, was small compared to the divide between God and sinners, Sinners that are Jews and sinners that are Gentiles, and by this is something to remember with with people that maybe are very different from you, that that you know are none, nonetheless believers. Very different in their customs, maybe the food they eat, the practices they have, uh, that are more culturally you know different culture from yours. Um, you, you might like, you know, you might li- not like being around people that. Uh, are, are very intellectual and philosophical in their conversation. Or, or, or you, you, you might like that, and, and you might not like mixing it up with, with, you know, those that you would consider rednecks, and the rednecks don't want to be with those that are, you know, the educational elite. Well, that wall is small compared to the difference between you and God. You know, whatever anybody has done to you, however they're different from you, it's small compared to the wall of hostility that existed between you and God. And so if God has received us, if God has rescued us, then then we can welcome one another as well. Both Jews and Gentiles needed to be brought back into fellowship with God himself. Reconciling is bringing people that are at odds with one another that are hostile, back together. And and let me encourage you. Perhaps some of you are are suffering uh, some difficulties and heartache because of of being at odds with somebody. Now, if this other person is a believer in Christ, there's no reason that you can't get that back together through Christ. Sometimes it can't be done. Sometimes the person is committed to sin, the person doesn't belong to Christ, Um, but but God reconciles people. It's amazing the restoration that he can work. The very fact that we, who are sinners by birth and by choice, now love God and worship him and and long to see him and expect to, to have an inheritance from him, that's phenomenal. That's amazing. I mean, the God that by all rights should destroy us in everlasting hell is going to bless us in everlasting heaven and the new earth and the new heaven. We can come together in one body. All human beings need the same thing. It's fitting that they would be made one through the cross thereby killing the hostility. The greater hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, and it was great, was a hostility between God and man. We were hostile toward him. We were rebels against God. We were his enemies. Um, we chose to follow Satan's direction rather than to believe and obey God. And God was hostile to us. He said, well, wait a minute. God is hostile to us? in that we were objects of his wrath. His settled hostility, that's his wrath, against sin and those that commit it. God doesn't send sin to hell. He sends sinners to hell. So the greatest thing that a person has to fear is that God is his enemy, that that God will judge him eternally. The the greatest thing that that we need rescue from is not just death. It is the wrath of God poured out on us that is eternal. That's what we most need. And and God showed love to us while we are still his enemies. God, though he's settled in his opposition to sin, and he's going to judge it, decided to judge it in Christ for us. Christ is our peace. Christ created peace between us and God. We are no longer, if we're in Christ, objects of God's righteous wrath, but we are objects of his love. We are saints. We are children. We are heirs. This is why Isaiah 52 talks about the gospel this way, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, that's gospel, who publishes peace. He's spreading the news of peace between us and God, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, rescue, Who says to Zion, your God reign. Christ is our peace. He creates peace with one another. He creates peace with God. And as such, happiness is ours because we've become part of the good and perfect kingdom of God. What's happened is the world was in rebellion against God. We were part of that ever since the Garden of Eden. And, And now we've been brought back under the umbrella of God's loving kingdom. We've now been, we've been made friends with God again. We've had Eden restored to us. We still are dealing with a lot of the fallout of sin, but one day all of that will be gone as well as we enjoy the inheritance that God has given to us. Christ is our peace. We are one people reconciled. And so as you think about this, I want you to think about what this, what this means for us practically on a day-by-day basis. What this means is that, that you're living in a way and you're looking for ways to express your closeness, your community, your communion, your fellowship with other believers, no matter what their backgrounds might be no matter what other differences might that you're living in a way that that shows that the wall of hostility is gone and and so you're working at that horizontal relationship with other people it it also means that you're living with the the joyful awareness that God is not out to zap you anymore that that you belong to God, that he's proven his love toward you, and and your desire is to walk in his ways and to do his will and to be close to him, to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with him, just like our study in 1 John has been teaching us. So you're living life with this this horizontal peace because you have this vertical peace. We are one people reconciled to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and Lord, the encouragement that it is that with all that divides our world, that Christ does bring us together as we yield to Him and trust in Him. We pray that this week we might live in a way that we show love to one another. We show love to to all people made in God's image. And, And Lord, we we live in a way that expresses our love to you, that we have both that that peace horizontally, as well as the peace vertically. And Lord, may may you be praised. May May you shine out through us as we live this way. For it's in Christ's name we pray.